0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the San Diego News Fix. I'm Christy Taunton. The Union Tribune has a new series about workplace harassment and discrimination claims at San Diego's largest employers. The city of San Diego topped the list, followed by the San Diego Unified School District, Scripps Health and San Diego County. More on that after the news. San Diego County has reached herd immunity against the coronavirus. The region's vaccine tracker surpassed 2.1 million Saturday, a figure said to represent 75% of the 2.8 million people in San Diego County over the age of 12. The threshold represents a point at which the virus will have a hard time spreading very far or very quickly. San Diego home builders had one of their most productive quarters in years, with nearly 3,000 new homes constructed. Still, housing experts say it doesn't come close to what is needed. Construction of all residential housing was up 22% from the first quarter 2020 to the first quarter 2021, according to the Real Estate Research Council of Southern Nevada multiple Southwest Airlines flights to and from San Diego were canceled or delayed Tuesday due to a network issue. Earlier in the day, the disruption led to lines that wrapped around the San Diego airport's Terminal 1 building. The airport said it was working Tuesday to restore normal operations after a technology issue interfered with flights for the second straight day. A new watchdog report from the Union Tribune looks at harassment claims among the largest employers in San Diego County. Reporters Lindsey Winkley and Lauren Schroeder found that nearly 200 claims were filed alleging discrimination over disability, sex and gender, family care, age and race. Lauren, Lindsay, your series, Unsafe at Worked, looked at harassment claims made between 2015 and 2020 at some of the largest employers in the county. Uh, can you just give me an overview? You know, what kinds of complaints did you find and, and who were some of the biggest offenders?
1: Sure. Uh, so basically from 2015 through midway of 2020, we found that there were close to 200 of these claims that had been filed with um, a state agency. And basically what these claims allow people to do is they can get a right to sue letter, um, which is uh, what they need to go forward with any legal action. Um, And so we found that about 30% of the claims were filed um, against the city of San Diego or a city employee who works for the city of San Diego. Um, And that was more than any other entity of the 11 that we looked at. and then, I, like, following that, it was uh, claims against San Diego Unified, um, which uh, I think accounted for about roughly 17% of the total claims. Um, and then Scripps Health uh, was the target of about 13% of the claims. And we saw, you know, it, it varied on what the basis of these claims were. Um, there was a lot of um, discrimination due to a disability that an employee had um or discrimination based on um a person's sex or gender uh was very common so there was a lot of uh, sexual harassment uh bullying but that's tied into you know the sexual harassment aspect of it um but also a lot of um disability claims um pregnancy was another reason why people felt that they were retaliated against or discriminated against um those were kind of the the top ones that we found
0: And Lindsay, you talked to some people from the story or for the story who had filed claims, Um, some really incredible um, stories in there. Could you just share some of the ones that stand out to you?
2: Yeah, I think the first woman that comes to mind would be Louise LaFoy. I think her experience is really powerful and really indicative of what employees have to go through to fight these kinds of cases. So she alleged that she was sexually harassed twice by a former assistant sheriff. So sort of very high up in uh, the hierarchy of the sheriff's department. And she reported it to her supervisors and and felt very intimidated and belittled while the department was sort of investigating her claim. Um, she said it was really stressful. She was going to, you know, getting counseling because of the stress that she was under. Um, she found out later that other people that she worked with had also reported being harassed by this same person. And so she did decide to get her own lawyer. And that is what a lot of people end up having to do. Um, if they feel that their case isn't being um, taken seriously, then they go to outside help. And she fought for three years in court. Three years is how long it took her to um, get justice. And a judge did end up siding with her um, and declared that she had been sexually harassed, awarded her $60,000. But it really is sort of uh, illustrative of the traumatic process that you sometimes have to go through in order to to fight these sorts of things uh, in court. Did she feel like it was worth it to
0: fight back? I mean, you mentioned the three years. I know she was awarded $60,000. You know, your story talked about retaliation, you know, for doing this. Did she tell you anything about that?
2: Well, you know, she definitely felt like when they were investigating the case that she was being treated more like the suspect than the assistant sheriff. You know, she's trying to complain about something that's happening to her. um, And she felt like they were, uh, you know, again, very intimidating, very belittling. Um, you know, when I spoke to her after her case settled, which again was just recently, she did, it did seem like it was worth it. You know, I think that what got her through it wasn't just justice for herself, but I think it made a big difference to her that she knew that there were other women who had experienced that. Even if she didn't know who those women were, um, I think she felt if she could just bring this case forward and if she could get justice, then it would be holding the department accountable for what had happened to her, not just for her, but her, the people who experienced similar incidents.
1: And hopefully prevent future incidents from happening too. Um, And future retaliation if someone does come forward because Lindsay and I reviewed all of these individually and there were so many uh, claims uh, where an employee documented being retaliated against after complaining. Or not complaining, complaining is the wrong word, but after reporting the alleged illegal behavior, that they were demoted, that they were, you know, uh, negative citations or write-ups were added to their personnel file, um, or they were forced to quit or fired for coming forward.
2: And so when that's the case, do they have any recourse? Yeah, I mean they have the legal system, but you know I think I talked to a fair number of lawyers that represent plaintiffs, and they're really the first ones to say how complicated this legal process can often be. Um, you know, in addition to the fact that it can take a very long time, it's very costly. Um, there are a lot of uh, very specific sort of regulations that are tied to to this kind of case. And especially big companies are practiced, right? They have whole, you know, legal teams that focus on defending them from these sorts of things. So it can be very difficult to go head to head with a a large employer um, on these sorts of cases. But in addition to that, there are so many uh, secret settlements and non-disclosure agreements that can make it very difficult for lawyers and plaintiffs to start, sort of establish a pattern of behavior with these larger companies, you know, because if, if things are locked down in, in, with, you know, in confidential documentation, it's really hard to find that after the fact to sort of show, hey, look, this isn't the only person, we need to do something about this.
0: Well, something that stood out to me about your story was just that, you know, harassment is not necessarily illegal. You know, it might be, in a a company's policy might say, don't do X, Y, and Z, uh, but they might not, you know, necessarily be able to enforce that. And so like, how do companies navigate that?
2: Yeah. So I will say that that actually was something that I was very surprised to learn. I think that people (laughs) have this idea of what harassment is. And because we know that certain forms of harassment are illegal. I think a lot of us just assume that all forms of harassment are illegal, uh, are illegal. Um, And that's really not the case. Uh, There are very specific forms of harassment that are illegal that have to be directly related to these protected characteristics. So that's sort of the magic word here when we're talking about illegal behaviors. Um, You can't be discriminated or harassed because of your sex and gender, because of your race, because of your age because of your disability, but that leaves a lot of gray area, um, and it leaves a lot of room for poor behavior on the part of employers that technically isn't illegal. I I talked to a plaintiff's lawyer who said that he explains this to people every day, that he has people coming to him with Really unfortunate circumstances that still don't meet sort of the letter of what is illegal harassment um, in the state and also at the federal level. Um, and there isn't a whole lot you can do if you find yourself in a position where you're experiencing an uncomfortable work dynamic, but it's not illegal outside of trying to work within the system that you that you operate in, you know, kind of trying to work with your employer. But you know, our review of documentation showed that that didn't work all the time either. So,
0: well, what happens to the harasser? So, for example, in the case of the assistant sheriff, I mean, he was found to have done those things. Did anything happen?
2: Um, no, he, he retired before all of this had settled and the department said that it was a planned retirement. Uh, The department investigation found that he had exhibited, you know, sort of untoward behavior, um, but they didn't find enough evidence to suggest that he had sexually assaulted LaFoy. Um, And so, you know, no, he got to retire and the county will cover that, those expenses. Um, and, And that's sort of a commonality. I mean it's difficult to tell sometimes sort of who had to do what, but when you're suing a company, a lot of times it's not the, you know, the employee who is making your life miserable, who has to pay those repercussions. The company is going to handle, handle those things.
0: Well, one of the takeaways uh, seemed to me to be, you know, if you are a person who's experiencing harassment to get a lawyer, you know, it helps claims go through. I mean, how did having lawyers affect the outcomes of these claims you looked at?
1: Uh, It was a a stark contrast uh, in the data that we kind of created as we were sifting through these records. So, um, I mean, there's a a variety of different ways that they're marked as resolved, um, or like as the final outcome in the data that we got. Um, But basically, it's, you know, a right to sue letter was issued, and that's where The state agency said, "Yes, you have enough evidence to go forward with any legal action." There's investigated and dismissed. There's, you know, resolved between parties, which would probably be like a a mediation, either through legal action or through just, you know, professional mediators. Um, And then there's, you know, instances where someone withdraws the claim. Um, And then there's other cases where this. state agency basically said we don't have jurisdiction here and so they're referred to another agency and what we found is that none of the claims that were filed by an attorney were dismissed so absolutely none of the ones that had an attorney clarifying their statements making sure that they're providing only the facts that matter and not necessarily getting into a lot of the weeds that would need to be sifted through um and all of the 34 rejected cases that we found um, were filed by the individual as opposed to filed by an attorney. So um, that alone said to us that this is, it's very clear that this is a complicated process and having an attorney greatly uh, affects the outcome. Um, but unfortunately, you know, attorneys cost money um, and that's not always a, an option for an employee who's going through this.
2: Luckily though, if you have a good enough case, a lot of times lawyers that represent plaintiffs can sort of petition to have their legal fees paid for by uh, the, you know, the companies that are being accused. And so that can be very helpful. Um, but yeah, speaking to lawyers on both sides of the aisle, it's just a very complicated process. And it's complicated for employers too. I mean, employers spend a whole bunch of money to make sure that this sort of harassment doesn't happen generally because it can be very costly uh, for a company to defend itself in court. Well,
0: what have you heard from the the companies? And, and do you expect any change?
2: Well, I'll let Lauren sort of talk about kind of what the city of San Diego told us about kind of their process. But I will say that many companies are, you know, quick to say that the well-being of their employees is of the highest priority. You know, m- many companies spend lots of time and energy uh, training both their management and, you know, Employees to ensure that this kind of discrimination and harassment doesn't occur, and you know, while it may not be the most idealistic reason, they have a lot of motivation to ensure that that doesn't happen, um, because you know, assuming that the incident is egregious enough, it can be extremely costly for a company to lose um, in court and connection with these sorts of cases. You know, and we and we did hear from from the city of San Diego, which did, you know, was accused of most of these cases.
1: Yeah. So I reached out to the the city about not just the number of claims that were filed against them, but also specific claims that we had read. Um, and on the latter, it was very much a we can't comment on personnel matters or ongoing litigation. Um, whether or not any of the claims that I brought up to them were actually currently being litigated is unknown because we weren't able to um, to uh, contact or even just uh, speak with uh, the people who filed those claims because all of their personal information is redacted. We really were just relying on the lawyer who filed the claim to get back to us. If, if it was filed by an individual complainant, we would have no way of figuring out who these people were. Um, but. On the former, about um, just the number of cases or the number of claims that were filed against the city, um, a spokesman um, said that, going to what Lindsay said about training, is that um, every city employee has to take a sexual harassment training, I I believe, every two years. Um, And that training includes how to identify sexual harassment, how to prevent it, how to identify bullying and retaliation and other forms of discriminatory behavior. Um, And he also said that employees have a variety of ways to report it um, or to kind of resolve things. Um, They can, like there's the city's Equal Employment Investigation Office where a lot of those uh, complaints will go to initially. Um, There's also a a fraud hotline so that, Anyone who wishes to make a complaint can do so anonymously. Um, And there's also, uh, you know, uh, there's union representatives where someone can reach out to their union who then kind of would be able, their representative would be able to act as a kind of a mediator uh, when dealing with the issue with the city and with the employee who came forward. So a variety of ways to report it, but I I will say I I read all the claims that were filed against the city and there were a, a, a number of them that. Had reached out to any of those or had contacted any of those options, had reached out in any shape um, or form that was available to them, and still felt like nothing had been done to remedy the situation or solve it, or felt like they were being retaliated against by their supervisor for coming forward, um, which led them eventually to file an official complaint.
0: Well, you know, having done this series now, do you have any takeaways?
2: Yeah, I think to me, it was really unsettling to see how common this was, to hear how common this is. And I think that that is a really good reminder that while we have made a lot of progress in the space of work equality, um, we have a long way to go. Uh, There's still a lot of work that needs to be done. And it's worth noting that these kinds of claims are really only addressing one form of workplace harassment, you know, it's sort of discrimination specific. We didn't even get into wage hour violations and equal pay lawsuits, you know, so I think it was just a timely reminder that um, there's uh, there's a lot of progress that needs to be made.
1: And on top of that, the the claims that we looked at really only represent a small percentage of the people who are actually experiencing this type of harassment. Um, these are the people who, uh, were able to hire an attorney, were financially able to take that on, um, and were comfortable enough to come forward in the first place. Uh, And these don't include any of the harassment or discrimination or just complaints that were filed with the company or with a public agency and was then handled internally. Um, And if that was a great solution for them, then great. But what we found from these claims is that, you know, that's not always a a solution for people or it doesn't always feel like their, their situation was remedied which is why they felt they had to go forward. So we, we're not capturing everything that we know is going on, which is unfortunate.
0: You can read the Unsafe at Work report online at SanDiegoUnionTribune.com. I'm Christy Totten, host of the San Diego News Fix.
1: Thanks for listening.